Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. My name is George Acevedo, and uh, I am the lead pastor at Grace Church. We're a multi-site church in Southwest Florida, and it really is good to be here. Uh, Orlando is my home. Uh, I came to know Jesus uh, in Orlando, was sent from a church down in South Orlando uh, to college and seminary, and have been serving here in Florida now for 37 years, something like that. So it's good to be with you. And Paul will take a bullet for you, Pastor, but it'll only be in the shoulder. He won't take a full chest shot for you. I, I, I know that to be true. I know that to be true. So, so listen, um, uh, before, before I give the message, uh, would you do me a favor? And uh, I want us to take a moment and thank God uh, for our pastor. Would you join me in thanking God for Pastor Brent uh, this morning? Yeah. Um, I'm privileged uh, to really travel globally, trying to help leaders do better. I really believe in church leaders, and I believe in the local church. And, and as I travel, uh, you know, rare is the pastor that has the humility uh, that Pastor Brent has. Um, and I'm just so grateful for him. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't owe me anything. And yet, he's opened his life uh, to, to me and to our, uh, to our ministry. And so... Thank you, Pastor. Love you deeply. And, and Stacy too. Like like her a lot more than I do him, quite frankly, <laughs> truth be told. So there's an ancient rabbinic uh, story uh, about a rabbi who was on a journey uh, in, the, in the woods, and, and he came to a fork in the road, and unfortunately, he took the wrong, wrong road, and he ended up in front of a large castle. And uh, from the top of the castle, uh, a soldier hollered down and said to the rabbi, the lost rabbi, uh, who are you and what are you doing here? Now, the stunned rabbi uh, stopped for a moment and he looked up at the soldier and he says, uh, would you repeat those questions again? And he said, who are you and what are you doing here? And the, the rabbi said to the soldier, he said, how much do they pay you to stand on this wall and ask those two questions? And the soldier said, uh, two drachma, two drachma. And he said, I'll double your salary if you'll follow me and you'll ask me those two questions every single day. Who are you and what are you doing here? Now friends, I don't think that there could be any more important questions than these two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? I think the rabbi had it right. How would you truthfully answer these questions? First, who are you? What is it that, that identifies you? What's your primary identification? What defines you? For some of us, it's our relationships. We define ourselves maybe completely by being a husband or a wife, a brother or a sister. Uh, maybe it's a mom or a dad, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Whatever it might be, we identify ourselves by some kind of relationship. For others of us, it's vocation. We're, we're the employee or, or we're the boss. We're the we're the, uh, um, we're, we're the one who runs the business. What's your primary identity? Can I just suggest for us this morning that if you follow Jesus, he's our rabbi, you know. If you follow Jesus, your primary identity is in him. Your primary identity is not in any relationship you have, any vocation you have. Your primary identity is that you belong to God. Uh, think about the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, uh, born of a virgin, uh, lived in obscurity for 30 years in Nazareth, 
And traveling three miles an hour, he changed the world with a group of 12 Talmudim. That's the Hebrew word for students or apprentices. And then uh, Rome and Jerusalem conspired. Politics and religion colluded together to accuse God in the flesh, Jesus, of blasphemy. They hung him on a cross on a garbage heap outside of Jerusalem. He hung between heaven and earth and he died on the cross and he was laid in the tomb and, and three days later he rose from the dead. But the story doesn't end with his resurrection. Because a number of days later he ascends to the Father, the Bible tells us, and he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. He told those Talmudim, those, those apprentices, by then it had grown to, of oh, about a hundred of them, and he told them that they were to share the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus with the entire world. Now at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, after he had spent those 30 years in utter obscurity living in Nazareth, most likely taking care of his mother Mary and his younger siblings because Joseph had died, uh, Jesus went to the River Jordan where his crazy cousin, everybody's got a crazy cousin, can I get an amen? Crazy cousin. Camel-wearing, locust-eaten, crazy cousin. He went down to the River Jordan, and there Jesus was baptized. And the Bible gives us this beautiful picture that when Jesus was baptized, a dove descended upon him, and he heard a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The cry of every human heart is to know that they are the beloved of God. Every person on this planet, there's 7 billion plus people on this planet, has this deep desire in their heart. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. He put salt on our lips, Augustine said, so that we might thirst after God. Every human being on this planet is thirsting after God. They desire to know and hear the words that Jesus heard at his baptism that you desire to hear whether you know it or not, that you are the beloved of God. So around our church in Fort Lauderdale, or Fort Lauderdale, I don't live in Fort Lauderdale. That was a long time ago. Around our church in, in Cape Coral, in Fort Myers, we have a couple of campuses. We have this thing called COGPAL, Child of God, Person of Worth. I think maybe talked about it a little bit here. And I came by and brought you a gift. And by the way, this is not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about something else. This is just warm-up, all right? I, I preach three times a, a, a week, uh, three times on Sunday, and I never get, I mean, there's no back end of this deal. We could be here till kickoff. We could. I doubt it, but we won't. So I brought you a little gift. It's a little name tag, a little tag like this. I wish I had the little, the little lanyards. I, I forgot them, quite frankly. But it says, I'm a child of God and a person of worth, and everybody gets one when they leave today. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this name tag on that spot that challenges you most in your identity and for some of us it's that mirror in the morning when we look at it some of us in this room are trapped in that whole cultural understanding of beauty and so we need to be reminded that our beauty is not based on our body mass index but our beauty is based on the one who says we are beautiful for some of us the place we need to play this is on our computer screen because it's where we're challenged the most to lose our identity in Jesus. Whether it's an addiction to porn or whether it's just struggling with being on Facebook too much. 
Come on, church. There's a dopamine thing that happens in your brain every time. I can't get into it, but okay. Whatever it is, you, you need to put that. So that's my gift to you today, okay? So I hope you all enjoy that. But here's, here's the second question is really what I came to talk about. What are you doing here? That's the second question. What, what are you doing here? I want to focus this morning on your purpose, on your meaning, on your mission. Because who you are gives you roots. It grounds you. But what are you doing here gives you wings. It makes you soar. And God made you to have roots and wings to know who you are, but also to have a mission to know what you're doing here. Can I suggest to you that God made you to live your best life on mission for Jesus? But he made you to live your best life on mission for Jesus in a particular and unique context. And it has to do with the life of Jesus, not because Pastor George says so. You see it in the life of Jesus. We are made to be connected in these little missionary outposts called the church. The church. The most important thing that happens in this little corner of uh, Orange County. We're still in Orange County, aren't we? Okay. Uh, couldn't remember. This is not my... I grew up in the poor part of Orange County. but In this little part of Orange County... Uh, is this church what what happens in this little quadrant uh, all the soccer games all the houses that are being built all the schools that are coming up all, even the mouse house or the rat trap as we called it when I was growing up here even 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 all of the listen the most important thing that happens is that local churches get vital and it takes men and women who know who they are who joined Jesus in his mission. You see, God gave us the church. God's incubator for you to discover your purpose and your meaning is the local church. The Bible, Jesus calls it the bride of Christ. Paul calls it the body of Christ. Think theologically with me for a minute. I've been captivated. I, I came to know Jesus as a drug addict and alcoholic, clean and sober by the grace of God for 40 years. Can we give him praise this morning? And I came, I, I came to know Jesus more than 42 years ago. And in that time, I've been captivated by this idea of the incarnation. Think with me theologically. Don't let the word theology scare you. It's just what we believe about God, what we think about God. And I've been captured by this idea that God became a human being, that the word became flesh is the way John puts it. And, and I, I asked myself the question a number of decades ago, how was it that God decided to send the Son? Now, stay with me. This is what I call my sanctified imagination for my theologians in the room. Don't lose your mind with this one, all right? Think about it with me for just a minute. Imagine that the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in their executive suite, and they call for a meeting with the objective of redeeming a broken, sin-filled, war-torn, blood-filled, blue-green planet called Earth. God wants to redeem it, and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit get into a noisy meeting, and they settle on sending the son who was born in Nazareth. He, at the age of 30, raises up the Talmudim. He preaches, he teaches, he heals, he hangs on the cross, he dies, he raises from the dead, he ascends to the Father, and before he ascends, he says to his apprentices, oh, one more thing. Take my message to your city, your state, your country, 
to those places you'd rather go around than through. That's where the church is supposed to be. And to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told us to do. You see, God's redemptive plan wasn't just to send Jesus. Don't think I'm a heretic. His redemptive plan wasn't just to send Jesus. Yes, it's primary and it's first. God has to redeem us. We can't redeem ourselves. Grace is grace because we can't earn it. We didn't initiate it. He gave it to us. But it doesn't end there. That's the first half of the gospel. The second half of the gospel is that he raises up a group of men and women who can extend the love of Jesus to the ends of the earth. He raises up the church. God enlists children of God and persons of worth, cogpows, who can enlist other cogpows in this exciting thing called the church. And so this morning I want to talk about the exciting church. Now the word exciting, when I looked it up in the dictionary, is defined as causing great enthusiasm. I love the word enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm, when you take it apart, is the word en theos. En means in, theos means God, it means in God. An enthusiastic church, an exciting church is a church that is full of God. We just sang about that this morning. Have your way. I want to be full of God. And listen, what makes life church, an exciting church, an enthusiastic church, it is that it is filled with cogpows who are full of God. And so the problem, it seems to me, with the church today is that we have an identity crisis, and I would suggest that some of us do. I was an old youth pastor for a bunch of years. I'm going to die sooner because of it. And, uh, and I used to speak to my kids about having poor self-esteem and how their poor self-esteem would lead to bad decisions and self-destructive decisions. And there's a lot of things that's changed about youth, but this one thing has not. Can I suggest to you that churches can have identity crisis as well. As a matter of fact, in America today, just for statistics, this is conservative. 87% of the churches in America are not doing really well. They're not, they're not thriving. Now, the question you have to ask is, has the gospel lost its power? Is the Holy Spirit less available? No, can I suggest to you that what is a matter with many churches, not this one, is that they have an identity crisis. They've forgotten who they are and what they're doing here. And so we can't forget who we are. And we can't forget what we've been called to do. So for the next few minutes, I want to try to answer this question. What is an exciting church? How can Life Church be an exciting church? And remember that the church, just like Jesus, is God's idea. That the church was birthed, really, if you study scripture, and I'm a Bible guy, if you study scripture, the church was birthed out of the essence of who God is. You see, followers of Jesus for centuries have believed that God is mysteriously Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one and, and one in three, and can I explain it? No, but I don't want to worship a God that I can explain. If I can explain him, my God's way too small. And so what, what does it mean for it to say that God has birthed the church out of his identity, his identity? Well, remember, God is fully God. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, let me suggest it to you this way. Three ways to respond to this question. What's an exciting church? Number one, an exciting church is envisioned by the Father. This is Trinitarian. Um, don't let this freak you out. Emil Brunner was this great theologian, and 
He said that the Trinity is shy. That when you read about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Scripture, the Father says, this is my son. He says, don't look at me, look at my boy. And the son says, well, I don't do what I want to do. I do what my daddy tells me to do. And Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what I have taught you. And there's this sense in which the Trinity defers to, to one another. Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 15. Is that on the screen? I can't see the screen. Is that on the screen, John 15, 15? Okay, read this with me. All right, this is the way I know that you're awake this morning. Ready? Go. I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Jesus is saying, it's what my daddy tells me to do. Jesus did his father's bidding. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram and Sarai, and he says to them, I want to bless you. And they're going, God's blessing, I'll take it. But they somehow forgot the back half of that. Because he says, I want to bless you and make you a blessing to the nation. Can I tell you that sadly what happens to many of us is we want the first half and not the second half. We want to be blessed, but we don't want to be a blessing. Because to follow Jesus means we need to be a blessing. You see, the Father has always had this vision of pouring his presence full of God into a people who would be blessed and then who would have enough sense not to hoard the blessing, but to give it away. To give it away. I love the Chris Tomlin song, Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are? I don't sing. Here's a simple question. How will the world know that we have a good, good father? And can I suggest to you that the answer is pretty simple. The world will know that God is good when the church shows that God is good. Uh, we have a good, good father. We love to sing the song. We can cry until Jesus comes home. But it don't mean squat until we walk from these seats to those mean streets and show the goodness of God there. And so at the church that I serve, we've been trying to figure this out. I've been privileged. I've been there 25 years. Wow. Been there 25 years. And we've been trying to figure this out. We discovered that in our community, there was a group of unreached people called Adults with Special Needs. And we discovered their parents can't come to church because they always have to stay with their special needs adult children. And we said, Jesus is not happy about that. So we rented a little, little strip mall, little single unit strip mall, and we opened a thing called Exceptional Entrepreneurs. I was there this week. It's now three of those. It's grown. And we have 20 adult special needs uh, persons in there and they make little crafts and we sell them but it's it's not about the crafts it's about the community that God is creating there and most most of those families who bring their special needs adults to our ministry have no church and as best we know have no relationship with Jesus and can never come to our really cool building with lights and the pastors and and the and the good coffee well our coffee kind of sucks quite frankly but you know, they, it really does. It's really bad. Your coffee's pretty good. And um, um, pr pretty good. I didn't say it was great. It's pretty good. Don't get, don't get arrogant. Don't get it. Uh, ain't Starbucks quite yet. But um, where was I? Oh, EE. E. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, we have a team heading home from Louisiana right now. 
We collected a U-Haul full of stuff. And they've been there sharing the love of Jesus in Louisiana. And the reason we do this stuff, we, 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 we bust ourselves to do this kind of stuff, is because we know that we can sing about the goodness of God till the chickens come home. But it means nothing until we, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, show the goodness of God in the world. So if you're new to Life Church, here's what I can promise you. I've been around this church enough to know that it wants to share the goodness of God out there. And um, I'd encourage you to consider this as your home. All right. Uh, the, the, the second answer to this, what is an exciting church, is this. An exciting church is established by the sun. Have you ever asked yourself what was the purpose of Jesus beyond dying on the cross? Well, as I said earlier, one part of his mission was to do that for us. But another part of his mission was to gather a team of men and women who knew who they were and what they were called to do. So one time, uh, Jesus says this crazy thing to his disciples, because Jesus always said crazy things to his disciples. He said this, now think about if you're one of the 12, it's better for you that I go, oh, excuse me, Jesus, what could be better than hanging out with you? I mean, you like heal people, you cast out demons, you like take on religious bigots. I loved it when Jesus takes on religious bigots. I hate when he takes on my religious bigotry, but I like it when he takes on other people's religious bigotry. What could be better? It's better for you that I go? I'm, my inner dialogue with Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? And then here's what Jesus says. Because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. I'm going, okay, wait, wait, help me with this. It's better for you to leave Jesus? And it took me a decade or so of studying that verse to figure it out. What's better than one Jesus? How about two billion followers of Jesus? Showing the goodness of God into this, into this world. You see, Jesus, part of the Trinity, established the church. A church that's exciting and full of God. You remember these words that Jesus spoke to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, what's it say? I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus says he's going to build his church. He's the architect of the church. But can I suggest to you that we are his subcontractors? He uses every one of us. To join him in this mission, kind of like Jake and Elwood Blues, we are on a mission from God. And that mission from God, at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, therefore, go and sit in church. Is that what he says? He says, therefore, go and make disciples, make disciples of all nations. If you want to know what you're doing here, your job is to make disciples. It isn't just for the paid Christians like me and pastor. It's for all of us. Our job, Jesus said here, I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus, you don't get to follow him halfway. You don't get to follow him on your terms. I don't. I was challenged by that song about surrender this morning because there's so much in me that I want to hold on to. And, and, and Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to go and make disciples. You're not going to sit on your blessed assurance. You're going to go and make disciples. 
So I shared with you uh, a little bit of my addiction story. I have a family of generations of addictions. As best as I can go back, at least five or six generations of my grandfathers were full-fledged alcoholics. And I learned in the rooms of recovery that if I'm going to make it, I need a sponsor. And a sponsor is somebody who's doing better in recovery than I am. They have something I want. And so I go get a sponsor. I humble myself and say, I, I, I want what you got, and will you walk with me? So it's my responsibility to do that. Now, they say in recovery, you're not really in recovery until somebody sees something in you that they want, and they come and say to you, hey, would you be my sponsor? So now I've got somebody in front of me who's doing better than I am, and somebody behind me who's not doing as well as I am. But even then, even then, it's, it's, it's good, but it's not the best. You know what the best is? The best is when you're sponsoring somebody and somebody is sponsoring you and that person is being sponsored and you're now a grand sponsor. And that's what Jesus meant about making disciples. Every one of us, if we're going to be a Talmudim, an apprentice of Jesus, there's got to be somebody who we are pouring into and somebody who's pouring into us and we want to see the ripples. One of the gifts of being at my church for 25 years is that I was telling the leaders yesterday morning, is that we have five generations of Pauls who have poured into Timothy's on our staff. Is the picture up? Can I see the picture up? Can you put the picture up of the guys? Is that the guys? Is that the guys? Okay, that's the guys. I can't see this, so forgive me. But I'm the fat Puerto Rican guy on the end. And what you can't see is there's a guy that's not there. He's now in heaven. His name is Howard Olds. And he poured into me when I was a young man uh, full of brokenness. He's the guy that said to me, I was his youth pastor. He said to me, you either go to get therapy to deal with your anger and your resentments and all the junk in your life, or you're fired. And all of a sudden I wanted to go see a therapist. It was the best day of my life. So I went to see a therapist. And so Howard poured into me, I poured into his 14 year old son, Wes, who, by the way, I'm retiring in two years. He's going to be the next lead pastor of Grace Church. And I've been pouring into his life now for 37 years. So Wes poured his life into a 12-year-old kid named Taylor, who when he was 13, I was preaching at his summer youth camp, and Taylor walked the aisle and gave his life to Jesus. And then he became the youth pastor at Grace Church. He then became the family pastor, and now he's our executive pastor. Taylor started to pour into another kid named Taylor. He's the next guy there. Taylor was in our uh, college ministry. He was at the University of Florida. Go Gators. He's at the University of Florida. And Taylor kept saying, there's a call of God on your life, Taylor. And so Taylor then came back to us, went to seminary online and, uh, and at Orlando Asbury. And Taylor is now the youth pastor. And here's the cool thing. He's youth pastor to two of my grandkids. This is how it works. And then Taylor, through high school, uh, uh, Taylor, when he was the high school minister, was pouring into a young guy named Roddy Evans, who's now full-time uh, on our tech and, and worship team. And can I tell you that it gets no better for me than to know that the old fat Puerto Rican could just get hit by the beer truck this afternoon. And the work of Jesus in our place is going to go on. And, and friends, I mean, 
God wants that for everybody. It's not just, again, for the paid professionals. That you can look and you'll have a spiritual heritage, a spiritual lineage. That's the way Jesus made it. We need to, to make disciples. Third thing, I'm running out of time. Number three, an exciting church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and now the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you bought a beautiful lamp, a beautiful lamp's great to look at. But it really needs to be plugged in. It's got to get plugged in. And there's a lot of churches that are beautiful to look at. But I question whether they're plugged in. I, I question whether they're full of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to enliven us and quicken us. The Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is a who. And like a Roman Catholic monk told me years ago, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in our life and in the church together. And it isn't just about when we gather here and sing these songs. It's when we share the goodness of God out in the streets. This is how Jesus put it. The last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, Acts 1.8. But you will receive, what's the word there? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be, not might be, not should be, not could be. But you will be my witnesses Telling people about me where? Everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, the world is desperate for this kind of full of God church. Can I remind you that in this community, racism is alive. There's poverty and there's homelessness. There's drug and alcohol addictions. There's families being torn apart by hate. There's teenagers and young adults that are wandering in this community. And the world is standing on tippy toes waiting for a church to be full of God, plugged into God, filled with the Spirit, taking Jesus at His word, telling people about me everywhere, not just in this room, everywhere. So you noticed, we noticed a trend a number of years ago that George Barna talked about that people are coming to Sunday morning church less often. Committed Christians are coming one to two times a month, And then we, we discovered that, uh, of course, in this last political cycle, that our, our culture and our nation is divided by politics. And then you throw into the fact that there's a whole bunch of people who used to come to church and they now call themselves duns. They're done with church. And then there's a larger group. It's a growing group. It's the fastest growing group of young adults in America today. It's the nuns. And here's what they say. I don't care how good the music is. I don't care how skinny the pastor's jeans are. Come on, church. It's, they're saying, we're never coming to your church. 60% of millennials. And are we simply going to say to millennials, go to and live in hell? Or is the church going to have the Spirit of God leading them to tell people about Jesus somewhere? No, everywhere. And so our church has been trying to wrestle with this for a while. And we discovered this movement in England where people were gathering in new spaces. They're doing things like Bible and brews. I know this is a Baptist group at times, but you, you know, I don't drink as, as you kind of figured that out. But I'm okay if somebody wants to have a beer. And, and uh, we can fight about it theologically if you want, that's okay. But there's a group of folks that are gathering in bars, drinking a glass of beer and talking about the Bible because young adults won't come to church to hear Pastor Brent's sermon. I have a buddy that has a group of folks that meets in a tattoo shop. And they take communion every week. 
in a tattoo shop. And I saw the owner who has devil horns in his head. Take communion. Most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Because that guy's never going to walk in here. So we have to go there. So our church has launched these things called dinner churches among three pockets of poverty on Monday and Wednesday and Thursday nights in community centers. And we serve a meal and we sit around the table with groups of poor white folks, poor black folks, poor brown folks. And we talk about their pows and their wows. Where were they powed this week and when were they wowed this week? And we slowly begin telling stories of Jesus and people are coming to know Jesus in our community center that will never walk into our beautiful sanctuary on Sunday morning. Yeah, devil horns and all. So I was in Costa Rica. I'm almost done. I was in Costa Rica um, a bunch of years ago. And you have to understand how we Latinos think. Um, there's this kind of thought in many Latin cultures that God is only in the places where God's name is named. So he's in the church and he's in the home and, you know, he's, he's in those spaces. But God isn't in the bars at work. I don't believe that. My God is so big, I believe he, like, he's at work in strip clubs. And the reason I can tell you that he's at work in strip clubs is there's a woman in our church who used to be a stripper at Babes. She started coming to our recovery ministry on Friday nights and hearing about Jesus. And one day when she was at the strip club, a man offered her more money than she had ever seen in her life if he would go home and if she, she would go home with him and have sex. She ran into the bathroom of the strip club and fell on the floor and gave her life to Jesus. And today, by the way, she runs and owns one of the top insurance businesses in Lee County. Now, I told this story to this group of Costa Rican pastors. And I said, el Señor está ahí, which means the Lord is there. And their response back to me was, no, el Señor no está ahí. The Lord, he is not there. So I told another story about a guy in our church that found Jesus in a bar. He said, no, el señor no está ahí. And I was losing the crowd, Pastor. You ever lost the crowd? I was losing the crowd. So from the back of the room, this guy raises his hand. I'm like, come on. And you ever had that, you know the kids song, one of these things is not like the other? This guy was the one thing that was not like the other. He was wearing a Harley Davidson t-shirt, a leather jacket, and he was tattooed from head to toe. He was my kind of guy. And he stood up in the back of the room and he said, can I tell a story? And he said, I was in Mexico on my Harley at a bar one night. I'd been drinking all night. I came out of the bar and he said, one of them stupid Christians handed me a track. And I threw it in my bag and I pushed the Christian. I jumped on my Harley and I drove off. He said, three months later, I'm in a bar in Costa Rica. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I've been nursing a fifth of, of rum all day. I pour the last bit of rum into a cup. I drink it. I go upstairs to my room. I reach into my bag to pull out my 45 to blow my brains out. And I pull out that track. And I gave my life to Jesus. And then he said, el Señor está ahí. And the crowd busted out. 
Life Church, the Lord is everywhere. God is at work in every human heart. And I came by this morning to ask you two questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Let's stand for prayer. I want to just take just a moment. And I want to invite you to just uh, breathe in and breathe out. Maybe you need to breathe out anything that's, you know, worrying you or concerning you for just a moment. And I want you to breathe in the Spirit of God. Um, would you join me in just simply saying this simple prayer that the church has prayed for centuries? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Would you say that with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Say it one more time. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of God, we welcome you in this place. We give you free reign in this place. Spirit of God, come. Father, for some of us, this morning is about that first question. Who are you? And there's somebody in this room, there's somebody watching online that their answer to that is, I don't know. Or maybe it's, well, I, I guess I'm a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a, a student, a worker. And it's like sawdust in their mouth. It doesn't satisfy. And so Lord, I, I pray for that person here who needs to know that they are the beloved of God. That they could hear the Father say to them this morning, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Somebody today, Lord, needs to put their hand in the hand of Jesus and follow him. There's some of us for whom that grip has grown loose. We've allowed other things, other pressures to steal away our identity. For a lot of us, we're, we're like maybe the younger son in that story that ran away and, you know, riotous living. And, and for others of us, we're in the house, but we don't have the father's heart. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as only you could do, you would give us the Father's heart to know who we are. And I'm pretty sure, Lord, because I know that your word, uh, it does surgery on us. There's some of us for whom what we need to repent of, to turn from today, is a disdain for the church. Some of us have been church hurt here today. We've been wounded deeply by people who name the name of Jesus.
and to whoever you are, would you hear the heart of God for you? And God's heart for you is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I want to heal that spot in you. The Father's saying to you today, I want to heal that. And I want to restore you. But I need you to let me. There's some of us here today, God, that we have a heart for, the, for God, but we don't have a heart for God's house, God's people. And just as we put our trust, Lord, in, in you, help us to believe in the body of Christ. Because, Lord, we know that there's nothing better than when we get it right. We tasted that last weekend here at Life Church. And we want to taste it even more. And so, Lord, uh, as a friend to Life Church, I want to take this moment, Lord, to ask you to let this be an exciting, enthusiastic, full of God church. A church, Lord, that doesn't just sing about a good, good Father, but shows that the Father is good. And so, Lord, thanks for this morning. And thanks for letting us be with you and with one another. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody agreeing with this prayer. So. Amen. It's been good to be with you. God bless you. Thanks. So if you want to be part of that, I'd encourage you to be a part of that. And uh, there with that QR code or the giving box on the back, you can go to our website at lifechurchhw.com or you can text any amount to 84321 and you can join in the journey of Life Church as we go and tell people about how much that God loves them. Man, I love you guys, church. I love you. And I look forward to, I'm thankful for the past and I'm thankful for what God has allowed us to be a part of, but I, I tell you what, our future is so bright. And I can't wait to see the doors that God opens for us. So this week, as you go, go blessed and go out and love people. See you next week, Life Church. Thank you.